How's everybody doing this morning? What a privilege to get to share uh, the word with you this morning. It's a new year, and so I think some folks may still be on Christmas vacation today or in Belize enjoying the, uh, the heat, but they, our prayers go with them because we know that God is going to do some good work through them. As I was thinking about my message, I always kind of get a little contemplative as I, I come through Christmas because I gave my life to Christ 33 years ago uh, in the week between Christmas and New Year's. And so every year it just kind of stirs up a lot of memories about, you know, just the change of life. And I've been a Christian a lot longer than I wasn't a Christian and I was raised in church. So, uh, you know, I have a little bit of a testimony, but not as some would have, I suppose. Um, I do, I do remember that the change was profound, that, you know, I, I found myself going out and buying a bunch of Christian t-shirts right away. Have you done this? And, you know, the bumper stickers and all of my music changed to Christian music. And I, I really, you know, became a part of this culture. All my friends were, you know, Christian people. And I found that kind of the veneer that I got saved to wore off over time. And it didn't have the same substance that I, I thought that it would. I thought that that's what it meant to be a Christian, was this new identity and be surrounded by other like-minded folks. And, and that life can be really tough. And my Christian t-shirt slogans didn't really help in the difficult times. Am I alone in this? Uh, and I, I look, as I study church history, I see that, you know, there's some similarities uh, over the course of the generations. You know, the early church in the first 600 years, they were so successful that they uh, evangelized North Africa and Central Asia and all the way up into Armenia. The entire country of Armenia gave its life uh, to Christ in belief and confession. They went into India. They uh, made movement up into China. They sent missionaries to Japan up through Europe. The entire known world had exposure to Christ. And churches built up, massive, amazing churches filled with stained glass and mosaics. And they testified to the belief in God and the salvation through Jesus Christ. But somewhere along the line, the disconnect happened. And the church divided over simple uh, matters of theology and they divided over politics. And as uh, the Islam advanced into the Central Asian states and into the Middle East, millions of Christians disappeared and vanished forever. You can still see remnants of them in the broken churches or even in the architecture of the mosque, which is fashioned after what the churches looked in that time, or in the um, the actual practice of the uh, Islamic services often resembles that of what Christianity may have looked like in the, the days of uh, the conversions. But I wonder, what was the difference between this small group of 12 that went out and changed the world and the millions of Christians that were lost forever to history? And I have to think that their hope was not found in stained glass or mosaics, in simple slogans or ideas. It wasn't found in culture. It wasn't found in power and pretense. That they had lost something dynamic that the early church knew in power. 
when they met Jesus Christ. A simple carpenter in a long-forgotten small little pocket of Galilee. Change is slow. And as I look at the folks that I've worked with over the last 33 years, you know, Facebook is great and it's also devastating because I can see kids that I worked with uh, 20, 30 years ago not serving Christ anymore. And what's difficult for me is I will, I will see some that I, I spent a lot of time investing in or even sent off to Bible college that don't even believe in God anymore. And I'm left wondering, what is it about our world that, that pushes and presses against us, that robs our faith, that causes us to question it and causes us to forget? And one of the conclusions that I've come to is that if our faith is only based on a conversion to a culture, to a bumper sticker mentality, to a soft veneer of uh, what used to be stained glass and maybe now could be more rightly considered uh, contemporary music and, and um, Christian t-shirts. It's not a faith at all. It's just a culture choice. And culture choices change. How many of us listen to the same music or, or wear the same clothes that we did when we were in high school? It, it just We don't do it. And if that's all that we convert to, we will depart from it when it doesn't make sense anymore. And I gotta, I gotta make a comment. God isn't in the t-shirt business. He cares more about what's written in your heart than what's written on your license plate. He wants to be praised, and it's, but it's okay to like other kinds of music. I remember when I started listening to country music when I was 30, uh, my wife actually asked me, are you still saved? <laughs> it's, it's still debatable. Uh, uh, God likes to laugh, and he we don't have to always use lame church jokes to smile and to, to have a good time. God created us to find our talents, our loves, our likes, our passions. Not everybody gets called to serve in full-time paid ministry, but that's okay because the best ministry doesn't happen in paid situations. New life in Christ is not about new clothes, new friends, new habits, or new interests. It's not cemented just by great doctrine, scripture memorization, or even seminary. Those things are not the things that are going to hold you close to God when you get a bad diagnosis or when your kids have a physical problem or when uh, you lose your job and you go broke or when some tragic, miserable event faces you in this life and you have no other way to cope. Those things are not going to cement you to God. It's going to be a life-changing faith. New life comes from a deliberate choice to walk in step with Jesus that changes your perspective. It changes your direction, and eventually it changes your heart. When we walk in step with Jesus, it becomes reflected in our choices, our relationships, our vocations, our behavior, our likes, our dislikes. But it's not the outside trappings that change us. Those change hopefully is a reflection of what's changing on the inside. Stained glass and vaulted ceilings are no more religious than contemporary worship or multimedia shows, and anything we do to make ourselves more godly from the outside is religion. Nothing wrong with those things. It's great to come to church and get inspired, but what did we take from that encounter with God 
that has substance, that has meat, that has legs. When we go out and face a world that's fractured and broken and, and scary, where do you see the face of God in your everyday lives? I, the most poignant and powerful worship service I've ever seen was when uh, a security guard in Baghdad died. He was a Fijian, and uh, his small little team of um, contractors, mostly from Micronesia, uh, I think the leader was from New Zealand, they said, all right, chaplain, yeah, we need you to do a service, you know, on the spot in the back room of the, the medical clinic there in uh, the airport. And I said, okay, tell me a little bit about this. And he goes, no, you don't understand. You know, this is the New Zealand guy. He goes, these people are very expletive religious. And uh, they get together every night. And they talk about their day. And they read the Bible. And they sing songs. You have to do religious service. I said, okay, I, I can do a religious service. And I, I, I got up to do the service. And I said, I understand that you guys sing at night. And um, I, I hope that you will offer a song at the end of the service. Uh, to honor your fallen friend. So I gave a short service. I have no idea what I talked about. And they didn't plan it. They didn't talk about it. In one voice, they broke out into the same song. I've never heard it before or since, talking about walking on the hills with the angels. And you could feel heaven drop into the room in the moment. And it was palpable. The spirit was there. And the grace gave comfort to these men so far from their home through the pain of losing their friend. And it was miraculous, and it was powerful, and it wasn't scripted. And I remember sitting there saying, well, those are some folks that actually know God. I need to spend more time with them. If you have your bulletins today, please uh, take a pen out, cross out the one and write in a two. That's my fault. I uh, Kind of a typo error. The second Corinthians, if you go to first Corinthians, there's probably a great sermon there about sexual purity, but we're going to be talking today about a new life in Christ. I'm sure Keith would have enjoyed it if I had preached on 1 Corinthians because that would have saved him from having to take that bullet, but I'm going to leave that for the pastor. So the Corinthians had come to something new, and, and Paul had traveled through, and he'd given them some um, guidance for how to live as Christians. And and word had come back to him that they were probably not falling into line with that guidance very well. And so he's writing these different words of encouragement and out, outlining what a Christian life looks like. But now he writes to encourage them as, as they work that life out because it's not enough just to come and to believe. We all need to do that. But now, what do you do with that belief? How do you walk it out? How does your faith work when the rubber meets the road? How does it work when you face the difficulties of life, when other people turn away from the, the gospel, when you get challenged, challenged by the brokenness of other people or the brokenness of yourself, I think part of the problem that we face is that we come to Christ to be a new creation and we hope that it stops there because it's painful to change. In the fifth chapter, having established that this is a temporary life and that there's an eternity that awaits us, Paul continues in verse 11, therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God. And I, I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again or giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in an outward appearance and not in the heart. For 
if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. We're introduced here to the fear of God, and, and the fear of God is contrasted to the fear of the world. We, we're afraid of a lot of things in this life. I know when I came to Christ, I was afraid of everything. I, I was the kid that would just kind of lay down and say, okay, beat me up, because I, I, I don't have any skills here. And, you know, God took me from that to basically putting me on the, the tip of the spear, going out to share Christ with folks in, in crazy situations. And the fear of God is not the things that we're afraid of that, that can hurt us or kill us or take away our income or uh, put us in prison. The fear of God is a sense of awe before God. It's a sense of, of the word is piety, but it's a sense of personal commitment to serving God in practical ways. Fear is doing the right thing and living in reverence to something bigger. We recognize that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and it changes our perspective. It changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way that we make decisions. And having this type of reverence for God, we're compelled to share it with others. And so there's a sense that when you encounter God and He changes your life, you have a responsibility to not let anybody go without that kind of a blessing in theirs. A lot of times we translate this in the church to inviting people to come to church with us. You know, we get new neighbors, we're like, you should come check out my church. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is not about building a community. It's about sharing the hope that you found in Christ. And so it's, it's not caring where somebody ends up putting their, their placeholder in church. It's, it's about caring about them knowing that God saved you from something, that he gave you hope when you were hopeless. He mended you when you were broken. And Paul is saying, look at the heart. You can boast about that. And not about the outward trappings or about the things that you've done or the things that you have. But point to the heart change that's been made in your life and say, look at what God has done for me. Because that is something worth boasting about. And this isn't the kind of go around patting yourself on the back saying, well, bless me, you know, I used to, I used to be the baddest man in town, but God saved me from that. That's, that's not bragging on God, that's really just trying to point back to how cool you thought you were before you came to Christ. God wants you to say, look, I was a broken person, but God did something new. Look at what God has done. Look at the change. There's something here worth taking note of. And so what has changed in your life? What did God change in you when you came to Christ? Now, there's probably some here that don't remember what they were like before they came to Jesus. They, they grew up in the church. They gave their life to Jesus when they were two. And God saved them from a life of prison and drug addiction, I guess, you know, because they never had to face those things. But God saves us continually through our lives. It's not just that one moment that, that God saved us from the life that was before, from the life that is now. I mean, all of us struggle with sin on a daily basis. All of us struggle with fear, with uh, medical illnesses, with brokenness. We're are we nervous? Are we angry? Are we selfish, unforgiving, dishonest? Those are the things that God saves us from. Those are the hearts that God changes. And those are the things that we can share that God is working on in us. The difficult question was, was our decision to follow Jesus more about changing our t-shirt and our culture? Was it about changing our hearts and our minds? 
about the path that we are on. And make no mistake, change is slow. I, I think sometimes we try to evaluate where we're at with Christ and we say, well, you know, I'm still struggling with this sin and, and maybe I'm not really that much of a Christian and I don't believe that that's the point of the gospel. I think the point is that if we walk in step with God, he begins to take us on a journey. And as long as we're walking in step with him, we are walking away from the old life and we're walking towards the new one. You know, I remember when I came to Christ, uh, some people thought I was pretty weird. And I, in fairness, I was weird before I came to Jesus, so that wasn't much of a change. And Paul says, you know, it's okay to be a little bit weird for Jesus. He says that here. I think you look at the word, he says, it can be translated strange, out of your mind, drunk. He said, it's okay to be a little drunk on Jesus. And you can get excited, and you can get really into your worship, and you can really seem a little strange to the world outside, but he says there's also that element where we come back to our center so that we can share with others. You know, we can't, we can go depart to spend that time with God and we can get filled up, but then we have to go back to the world and hold out the hope that we have as we walk it out in their midst. Yeah, I get this picture of um, one of the things the church did uh, in the early years is some people said, well, you know, as the church gets bigger, maybe it's not real anymore. So they tried to escape to the desert, and they, they built these communities where they wouldn't talk for the rest of their lives, or uh, they wouldn't see other people. Or Some guys even built these giant towers and would live by themselves exposed to the elements to get closer to God in their prayer. And I think that misses the point of what it means to be a Christian. You know, we need to get away for a little while to get filled up, to get our tanks full. But then we need to go back out there with what we're full of and share it with the world around us. We use the life-changing faith that we found to communicate the same hope to the world. Christians who hide in churches, and I think this is the application for us, Christians whose whole life is surrounded by other Christian people and, and Christian activities never meet the people who really need to know the hope of God. And I'll be quite honest, the times that I can remember seeing the face of God did not happen in church. It happened when I had one guy show up for church out in the field and we were in this little hut in uh, Lebanon and the power went out and the only light was from my iPad and all you could see was the cross and the, the communion cup on the table. And the guy hadn't seen a, another Christian for probably six months. Or when I, I flew into Baghdad and we were... ISIS kind of was surrounding the city, and the only guys that were in there were, um, were like the special ops guys, and they wouldn't let me off the airplane, so they would, a bunch of them came and surrounded the back end of the plane, and we did church out the back. And I, I had these stickers, and I told the story of how in the Old Testament they were worried about being surrounded, and God said, well, open their eyes, and they saw angels on the hills all around them, and and the message was that God outnumbered their foes. And they said, God out outnumbers your foes today. Even if you feel like you're the smallest number, God is bigger than the enemy that you face. And I had these little stickers of the Alamo uh, from a race that I had run. And I said, this is like the Alamo, only God is bigger than the enemies on the hills around you. And I passed out the stickers. And when I went back, I saw the stickers up all over uh, Biop. And I, I got to thinking, well, that's, that's bumper sticker faith there. We see God not in stained glass. We see God in prisons. 
We see God in orphanages. We see Him in hospital rooms, on street corners, and in the last places that we would ever want to go. If you're feeling uncomfortable, that's probably where you're going to see God and the thing that He has for you to do. In verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And, and he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. So God changes our priorities. You know, when we come to God, we, we're probably all about me and what I want and what I need. And if we continue on that path, we are not going to last very long with God because other priorities will get in our way. God created the world so that the high point of creation would be you and I, so that we could have relationship with Him. And the very first man disobeyed God. And in that disobedience, there was this wall between God and man. And this is what Paul's getting at here is that because Adam, the first man, undid all that God had intended for creation, he had to send Jesus, the sinless man, to take our burden. And that Christ's choice in dying undid the curse of Adam. That in his death we might all find life. People think Christians are foolish, they're childish, they're crazy for believing in God. They're off-center, they're, they're a little bit weird. But I kind of think that without God, we live in the chaos of our own making. You know, without God, there's nothing to order our lives. There's nothing to, to breathe peace into them and to give us new life. And I would rather be a little bit strange than to have to live in my own chaos. Sin gives us an opportunity to create our very own destruction. God gives us an opportunity to find a way out. And hope comes from sharing that love with other people. In verse 16, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. When I became a Christian, this was my favorite verse because I wanted to be something different. I didn't like who I was before I came to Christ. And this, this gave me this hope that maybe I didn't have to be that guy. You know, when we come to Jesus, there's, there's this wonderful feeling because our hearts are realigned to God there's a sense of forgiveness. There's a sense of newness. There's this expectation that maybe life can be something we didn't expect it to be before. We see, experience, and grow in a new way, and it's powerful, but that change is not just about moral choices. It's about learning to walk in step with Christ. And so often people will make this decision to come to Jesus, and they'll think this is kind of where it ends. Okay, I'm saved. Now I just got to figure out how to walk that out, but you know, I, I make good choices. But they miss the fact that every day we wake up and we put our shoes on, we have to make this decision that we're going to walk with Christ. I'm not saying we're going to lose our salvation. I'm saying that uh, by doing that, I, I'm saying that sometimes we think that salvation is just an event. 
we don't look at it as a lifetime of learning to walk with God. And we have to walk that out every single day. God brings new life in us, and His Spirit gives us uh, hope and salvation. We experience this new creation in part when we come to Christ. We experience it in part when we come together as a, a body of believers. We experience it in part when we forgive one another, but we will experience it in full when Christ returns. All of creation looks forward to that moment when God will make us whole again. We have a life-changing faith. In verse 18, it says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is about making things right. So it kind of looks at this idea of there was an inequity in a transaction. It wasn't fair. And reconciliation is about the idea of making things fair, setting right the difference. And Paul says, you know, God has reconciled us. He set things right. He settled the debt between us. But now we have this ministry, we have this responsibility to share that word with other people. And I've told you that the places that I've seen God's face have generally not been in churches, they've been in other places. So one of the places I saw God most clearly was in a prison. I was doing a tear check one night as a guard and I don't know why, but one of the inmates came up and started talking to me and he said, you know, boss, uh, I used to be important, I used to have a place in the community, I threw that all away with the decisions that I made. You know, he was a child molester and uh, kind of a despicable crime to be imprisoned for. But I remember God just speaking to me. He said, you need to listen to his story because he needs to find reconciliation. So in that prison where I was a guard, not a chaplain, I listened to his story because he needed to find a way to set right his life and to find his path again. Reconciliation is dirty it's it's kind of ugly business it's it's not easy it's not easy to forgive people it's not easy to to set right relationships but it probably was not comfortable for jesus at moments as he was down here reconciling us and being nailed to the cross and he's given us that message and that responsibility that's the nature of a new life with christ who do we need to reconcile in our families, in our homes, in our communities to each other and to God? Who are the people who need restored? They don't live in churches. They live in prisons, orphanages, retirement centers, and on street corners, and AIDS hospices. And I'm as guilty as everybody else for not wanting to go out and do that ministry. But if you want to see God, if you want to experience the new creation for yourself, those are the places you have to go. They need to hear your heart, the one that loves them with the hope of Christ and not the judgment of the religious. Ministry that has been transformed by Christ is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak. It's not for the afraid. It's only for those that have been filled up by the Spirit of God to go out and do the thing that's set in front of them. And the great thing about that is you don't have to be young, you don't have to be old, you don't have to be rich, you don't have to be poor, you just have to be obedient. 
where will God call you to make amends? Will it be restoring others outside of the church to God or even in your own home to restore broken relationships? In this, we represent Christ like diplomats sit, sent from our country uh, to represent the sovereign to make a deal. And the deal that we make is that each person who, who comes to Christ can be set free. We have a reconciling faith. And verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the, the Old Testament, there's this concept of a scapegoat where the sins of the people were figuratively put upon the goat and they would send it out in the desert as a, a symbol of taking their sins away from them. And, and the New Testament uh, looks at Christ and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's this idea that what Christ has done takes away our debt, it takes away our burden, it sets us right. His perfect life undid the work of the first man's disobedience. And it's in this relationship that we change to become what God wants us to be, that we discover what God wants us to be. But we can't quit growing at the moment of faith. If we really want to experience new creation in our lives, every day we have to wake up and say, okay, God, what do you want to teach me today? What do you want to set right today? This isn't getting resaved over and over again. This is just letting God grow us as men and women of faith. If we are not teachable, we're in rebellion to God. This is a new life. God makes a promise that he's going to change who we are and that he's going to set us right. And we need to respond to it daily in every moment of our lives. It's his righteous, not our own, uh, that makes us right with him. But it's in the standing before God that we encounter his power to change us and to change the world outside we have a sanctifying faith so after many years it's come to my conclusion that it's easy to walk away from faith if we lose touch with the power of god we have to keep that as a steady part of our spiritual diet that we have to continue to encounter those in need of christ and we need to engage it we can't just keep coming to try to get filled up in church. We have to take that hope out to the world around us. And a lot of us, we don't know non-Christians because we, we just don't run in circles where non-Christians live. And maybe we need to develop a part of our life that will encounter them, that will encounter brokenness, that will encounter need. We need to be tested and tried, and we need to bring God with us. We all come broken and toxic to Christ. We have disappointment, sickness, and loss. We shouldn't be surprised to find that in churches. But the hope is, is that we're getting past that, that we're getting mended, we're getting healed. Instead of growing weary in this life of faith, look back to where you started, to what God saved you from, what he saved you through. And remember, as you're disappointed, it's easier to be disappointed with God than to be disappointed without him. Allow God to use you to reconcile others to him and you're going to experience a life that becomes transformed by faith and that's what it means to be a new creation. Let's pray. 
Lord, I just ask that you would help us to continue to grow as new creations in Christ, that the old would pass away, the new would come, and that you would help us to hold that reconciliation out to the world around us that needs it. Help us to see the need, help us to be present to it, and help us to carry your grace with us to meet it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.